All sports, all the time. There's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered. Legends never die. This is the Spoken Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. I'm your host, Lance Twidwell. Man, that kid, he can ball, man. He can ball. Touchdown, Kansas City! Man with freaking Mahomes, baby! Uh, let's talk some sports, because that's what we're here to do. You are tuned in to the Spoken. Spoken. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Lance Twidwell. This is the Spoken Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Twidwell, here inside the Starcade Media Studios with my guy, Eddie Ortiz. Yo, yo, yo. Episode 197, full swing, full motion. We are so happy to be here with you guys and for you to be here with us, whether you are actually live streaming, whether you are podcasting, or you are YouTubing. Thank you so much for making time to be with us in this time as we have so much to get to in the world of sports, man. We have a lot of NFL to get to. We have NFL games going on as we are live streaming this, or at least we're getting prepped to in about 40, 45 minutes or so. We have the Vikings and Colts set to kick off. We have the Browns and the Ravens. We have the Bills and the Dolphins. Big time Saturday slate in the NFL, man. This is always kind of a weird thing, but I prefer this, honestly. I wish it would stay this way. I like Saturday. I wish it was I wish they'd take away Thursday night games. You'd have Saturday, Sunday, and Monday night football. So you would, have three straight games in the NFL games. Would you, would you would you think would it be better be Friday, Saturday, uh Sunday going into uh I guess the end of the seasons? We could definitely, yeah, that's a great debate to have. That's a great discussion we can to talk have. talk about I, like it here said, in about Eddie Hour. I, I just love the fact that a Saturday, Sunday, Monday scenario plays itself out so you have an entire weekend of NFL. I know the college game would not like that, but I'm not really caring about the college game. I care about what I like, which is the NFL, which is what we're going to talk about a lot today. We have the Eddie Hour. I'm sure we're going to get to some World Cup news, World Cup updates. We had a big game for third place in the World Cup today against yep. Croatia and Morocco. Eddie, I'm sure, will have his thoughts and viewpoints on that. I'm sure he has some other thought-provoking questions across the the. U- UFC, NFL, NBA, MLB landscape. I never know what he's going to bring, but I can't wait to find out what he's bringing. We're going to give you guys our Week 17 NFL picks when it comes to the Sunday slate because I know there's some big games this week as well. A lot of teams fighting for divisions, a lot of teams fighting for playoff seedings, and a lot of teams just fighting for pride. We'll see how this all goes. Man, this is usually when the NFL season gets to its most interesting point. And then, of course, we're going to give you guys our Chiefs-Texans preview, and then we're going to finish off the show with some L's because we love to hand out L's every single week. You guys may notice that our guy Trevor Toodle is not here this week. He had some um, some late game uh, updates when it came to his occupation, if you will. We'll just game leave it at that. decision, baby. He's a, he's a valuable commodity <laughs> at, his, at his workplace, and he needed to be there, and that's where we'll leave it. You know what I want to start, guys? First and foremost, if you've not already started, if you've not already subscribed, to our YouTube channel. We'd very much appreciate it if you've already, if you haven't done that already. Hit the subscribe, hit the update button, the notification button. Whenever we upload a new video, you will get notified of it. We appreciate all the growth and all the support we've gotten, guys, over this last year since we started taking on live streaming on our own, and uh, it's been nothing short of amazing. And we appreciate that. But we're not where we want to be yet. So if you've not done that yet, go ahead and do that. And if you already have, hit some friends up, let them know to do it for us or do it with the, do it with you as well for us. We'd greatly appreciate that. But let's start here, guys. We're uh, Things left off last week. We were talking about what we expected from this Chiefs and Broncos matchup out in Denver this last Sunday. I remember when I gave my viewpoints on this, Eddie and I were very much in agreement that this is a game where the Chiefs just need to go out there and really just put it on the Broncos. Make a statement because of the fact that you lose a very frustrating game to the Bengals that you should have won. Uh, that's been the story in all three Chiefs losses this year. These were games the Chiefs should have 100% won, and they let 
a a very close victory happen, and then we sit here frustrated, figuring out what was the key reasons, what were the key reasons as to why it happened. So go out here in Denver against an inferior opponent, a team that you've beaten so many times in a row, a team you've dominated so many times in a row, especially during the Patrick Mahomes era. Go out there and make a statement. Get your team right. Get the fan base right. Get everybody feeling good about the remainder of this regular season, which is so light for the Chiefs. And try to go try and do your best to get that one seed back that you lost against the Bengals just a week previous. And I had the Chiefs winning by 25 points. I thought the Chiefs were going to go out there and win 34 to 9. I nailed the Chiefs score prediction on this one, but things went a little uh, awry, if you will, Eddie. And I'm sure we're going to break that down. In fact, let's go ahead and break that down. Er, the beginning of the game was incredible. I mean, the Chiefs, you know, settled for field goals and back-to-back possessions, but the Chiefs were moving the ball with precision, with ease. And as great as that Broncos defense is, it looked like they just they just didn't have it in that game. It was not in the cards. Patrick Holmes was going to do whatever the hell he wanted to do, and he did for the first quarter, quarter and a half. Uh, so the, the Chiefs were feeling really good about themselves, going up multiple scores early. Then Willie Gay Jr. has a 47-yard pick six. And at that point, the Chiefs are up 27 to nothing. You see Travis Kelsey kind of leaning on the bench like this. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this is this is, this is is that game. This is exactly what I wanted to see. This is exactly what we all needed to see. The Chiefs needed this game, a good feel-good game against a divisional foe after a frustrating loss. Man, this is checking all the boxes. You know, Travis Kelsey reaches 10,000 career yards. He's the fastest to ever do that at the tight end position. Seventh career 1,000-yard season, pushing his already insane record to five more consecutive seasons than any tight end ever. To Patrick Mahomes throwing no-look, Williams white chocolate touchdown pass to Jarek McKinnon. I mean, what could go wrong? I mean, it was just a perfect game to start off. I mean, the first, like I said, quarter and change, everything's just going right for the Chiefs. The Russell Wilson and the Broncos are just absolutely lost offensively. Jerry Judy's out here assaulting refs, but for some reason still allowed the game. I mean, just everything feels good, feels right. And then the Patrick Mahomes interception started to, to take place. And look, let me, let me preface this before I sound like I'm being too overly critical on Patrick Mahomes in this one. Because... At the end of the game, Patrick Holmes ended up completing 67% of his passes. He threw for 352 yards and had three touchdowns. But it was easily one of the worst games that he's had over the last three years. And when you're as great as he is, you're you're held to a different standard, at least to me. And, and this is why I'm not okay with a game in which he turned the ball over three times regardless of the outcome because he himself demands more out of himself he expects more out of himself. Therefore, I'm going to demand and expect more out of him as well. The only reason, Eddie, this game in which the Chiefs were up 27 points ended in a one-score win for the Chiefs was due to Patrick's terrible decisions down the stretch. 100%. But having said that, and thinking more about it throughout this week, I, I want to add something else to this, Eddie, and I, I really want to get your thoughts about it in just a minute. I do think play calling failed Patrick Mahomes this week, and I'm going to explain why. If you go back and look at those three interceptions, all three were not only great plays by Josie Jewell and Pat Sertan. I'll give them all the credit in the world. Linebackers should not be able to catch passes like, like Josie Jewell did in that game. That yeah, was incredible. Sure. I mean, he, caught, he caught the ball with his hands. Pat Sertan goes up there and scoops the ball like that. Yeah. Incredible athleticism. Give those guys respect. But all three plays were designed for stop routes with nothing over the top. That makes no sense whatsoever. And when you're going up against a defense as talented as the Broncos, you can't put your quarterback in that situation and expect him to come out with a positive play on a consistent basis, even with a quarterback as great as Patrick Mahomes. 
And I know that Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy work so hard to put Patrick Mahomes in this offense in the best position to succeed during the week when they're game planning and game prepping. But I also know that they get lazy at times in their in-game play calling because it's been evident in all of their pass plays and what pass plays they're drawing up, like I was talking about with the stop gap, the stop routes, but lack of run plays as well. I don't know if you guys saw the stat that I had posted on Twitter a few days ago, but after going up 27 to nothing, the Chiefs ran the ball only 12 times for the rest of the game. There were two and a half quarters left. The Chiefs still had multiple minutes left in the first half and two other quarters to still play, and they ran the ball only 12 more times, and six of those runs came on the final drive to run up the clock. So really, the Chiefs only ran the ball six six times in meaningful minutes. That's absurd. And that's a problem. Especially when you have a running back like Isaiah Pacheco, who's averaging just under five yards per rush on the season, and a backup running back like Jarek McKinnon, who was absolutely unstoppable in this particular matchup. And look, I, I, I picked the Chiefs to win this game by 25 again. So I was expecting a blowout, but when the Chiefs were up 27 to nothing, I was more than satisfied and would have been totally fine with the Chiefs running the ball 20 to 30 more times after Willie Gay's pick six. The game was decided. I saw enough. I had the Chiefs going out there and putting a beat down on them. But they had even more of a deficit than I expected. They, they didn't even let the Broncos get on the other, on the others on, their, on the Chiefs' side of the field at that point. But Andy refuses to go that route, and it infuriates me to no end. It would, it would be one thing if the Chiefs simply couldn't run the ball. If they had the Bucks situation where they just they can't run the ball. They had a ton of injuries in the offensive line, and they just have an inept running back uh, situation. That is something I can accept and, and, and accept it for what it is. But Pacheco has proven himself as a reliable and effective running back. McKinnon is that wily vet that the Chiefs to go to continue to go to to make big plays like he did in this very game. And the Chiefs have a very good run-style offensive line. We saw that in the little dump-off pass to Jared McKinnon when Trey Pan- Pancake Papa Smith dropped two different individuals on that single play. So why not go to them and let them put the game on ice? Because I think Andy wants Patrick to break records and win the MVP. That's why. And so do I. So do we all do. I'd love to see Patrick set the new single-season passing record and touchdown record and win MVP. That stuff's awesome. It's fun. But play calling and decisions to avoid the run game is actually hurting that from happening. And the reason why is, let's say the Chiefs would have won that game 34-9 like I predicted. Like they very well could have. After going up 27-0, you run the ball 25-plus times. Patrick's no-look throw to Jerick McKinnon is then the prime focus and highlight of the game. That's what we're talking about all week long about... That play is why he's he's the MVP. Like that, I mean, the Chiefs just ran, like that game was over. Patrick did this play, had a perfect game, throw for three hundred fifteen yards, three touchdowns. Oh, just it's beautiful. It's a great game. That's the focus. But instead, we have to sit here and focus on these three useless, careless, and reckless interceptions that followed it and took away almost all of the shine. I know it ended up being the NFL game play of the week. But let's be honest, we weren't focusing on that play for the majority of this game, let alone the majority of this week. So regardless as to why Andy and EB decided to avoid the running game, a very much decided game early out, it didn't make sense and made a game that had no business being stressful, stressful. Yes, 
I know what the responses are going to be and they what they have been, Eddie. The Chiefs got out with the W. A win's a win. And, you know, they're 10-3. and three. Be thankful. Stop stressing. You know, it could have been worse. All but allowing an offense that came into this matchup with the worst offense in the NFL since the 2012 Chiefs, averaging under 14 points a game through two-thirds of the season, they outscore the number one rated offense in the Chiefs. 28-27, despite Russell Wilson getting literally knocked out of the game. That dude had a limit on his forehead. You can't tell me, you can't sell me on a win is a win. Because none of us felt good about this win. I understand that style points don't matter. Especially against teams that you can have close games against. But when you're facing literally the worst offense in a decade, and they outscore you, and the majority of that reason is because your quarterback, your MVPS quarterback, is putting your defense in that position with rookie corners, inexperienced corners, that is unacceptable. They, yes, the Chiefs scored 34 points. Yes, they won the game. Yes, they've beaten the Broncos now 14 straight times. Yes, Patrick Holmes is 15-0 against AFC West teams on the road. Yes, the Chiefs have won 10 straight games by... what? It, guys, what, I'm, what I, what I want to point out is this. What matters at the end of the game, end of the day, Eddie? Are the Chiefs a Super Bowl team or not, right? That's the new goal. When it was with Alex Smith and Matt Castle and Elvis Gerbach and Rich Gannon... The goal was, let's just be good. Let's get mm -hmm. 10 wins, get in the playoffs, see what happens. Now it's, Chiefs need to win the Super Bowl. Chiefs need to get back to the Super Bowl. That team on Sunday did not look like a team that can get into the Super Bowl. For various reasons that I just broke down. And it's never a good thing at all when the biggest issue was also the biggest reason you won the game. Patrick Mahomes is why the Chiefs ultimately won the game. But... When you have a guy out there that's throwing multiple bad interceptions, putting your defense in a place where they had no business being, and then you have a play-calling situation like they do, it tends to make me worried a little bit. Because, yes, the rest of the schedule, Chiefs should roll, Chiefs should be fine. But that's not what you're going to be facing in late January and early February if you make it that long. The Chiefs already have so many problems on the defensive side with youth and inexperience. And the Chiefs have, despite not having Tyreek Hill, they're still a great offense, but you still don't have that game wrecker, that guy that can go out there and make those types of big plays. So you have to be that much more cautious. And now with the Chiefs having seven or eight consecutive games with a turnover and being, I think, minus five in the turnover takeaway category, which is, I think, 28th in the league, they're the only playoff team in the bottom 10 in turnover takeaway uh, difference. By far. That's a real problem. That's something you have to be really worried about when the Bengals have beaten you three straight times. When the Bills are trying to do everything in their power to finally take you down. When these other AFC teams who might get hot at the very end feel good about themselves coming into Arrowhead. Do we say with any definitivity that the Chiefs are going to come into this game and win the turnover battle? Because I can't. They can't even do it against teams like the Broncos, who are as inept as any offense has been for 10 years. So yes, I'm glad the Chiefs snuck out of victory. But the fact that we have to sit here and say the Chiefs up 27 to nothing snuck out a victory, saying that sentence makes my stomach curdle a little bit, man. I'm going to be honest with you. I know these are first-world problems because there are other fan bases out there right now probably doing their shows that are talking about, man, what, are, what is our team going to do in the draft? They're already talking about that. Mm -hmm. I'd much rather be in the situation we're in. But that doesn't mean these aren't real problems. They're still problems. 
Americans are very blessed compared to third world countries. But if our power in the winter, is that not a problem? Still a problem. It may not be as bad as, you know, getting chased by lions, but it's still something we have to pay attention to. And this is something the Chiefs have to pay attention to. I'm still expecting them to be where they where I predicted them to be at the beginning of the year. But there are concerns, Eddie. What did you see in this game that you, you took away or some positives, some negatives, overall just viewpoint on this one? Positives. The, the offense was was doing its thing first quarter, uh pretty much most of the second quarter, up until the like the last five minutes of the of the second quarter. Uh yeah, I love what they were doing. I loved I love the, the play calling. Uh I said it last uh, last last episode that I would love to see the Chiefs run the ball, run the ball, run 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 with Pacheco. And we were seeing them. We were seeing them give the ball to Pacheco, to McKinnon, to McKinnon. Uh they were running the ball. They were doing their thing. McKinnon was being used uh as a as a quick slant kind of guy. Uh it was amazing. It was amazing to see, especially that one play where Patrick Mahomes just kinda like chucked the ball uh to McKinnon. That was amazing. That was it was amazing. But to me it was overshadowed by Patrick Mahomes' three interceptions. Uh I, in my opinion, as we sit here today, Patrick Mahomes took himself out of the, the MVP race and he will no longer be MVP unless Jalen Hurts has five turnovers in one game, which it could very well happen, but it is almost unlikely for it to happen with the last four weeks of the of the season. So I think I think hopefully this this puts the, the whole pressure on Patrick Holmes winning the MVP aside. Uh, I would love for Patrick Holmes to win the MVP trophy, but I'd rather focus on on bigger achievements, which is uh, the Super Bowl, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, those takeaways just killed this team, killed the defense. Um, the defense was rolling, but then you put them in in bad situations, pretty much in back to back drives. That defense was gassed. It was tired. There's not much I can blame on that. Blame that defense for allowing 14 points right before the half. They went back-to-back drives. I don't know if it's the play calling. I don't know what happened there. I I, I, I don't know. It was just terrible, terrible passes from Patrick Mahomes. They weren't even close to the receivers, uh, in my opinion. I don't think they were even catchable for receivers. the 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 first interception were uh, was a Sartan that put the put his hand on the uh, on yeah, the, it was on the amazing grass. scoop. Yeah, yes, yeah, amazing scoop. Uh, but who who was he targeting there? Was it uh, Juju or MVS? I'd have to go look. I, I bet it was Juju. I think I, it was. I, yeah, I think it was Juju. That ball was not. That was on his like Juju wasn't even. He was still running. Yeah. Juju was like nowhere near the. He could have done something, you know, put his leg there or something. But he was. It was just a terrible pass. Where the linebacker uh, intercepted the ball, he did the little dive thing. That was a good interception too. But he also did not make a good pass. I know Travis Kelsey was behind him, but it, I, I don't know what Patrick saw there because I think uh, Travis Kelsey, I think, was uh, double covered in that in that situation. So that reminded me of uh, Patrick Mahomes last year forcing the ball to Tyreek. I get that Travis Kelsey is your your number one receiver, your number one weapon. He's probably arguably the best offensive weapon in this in what in in this team's history. Uh, you can you can say uh, 
Tony Gonzalez, but I still think Travis Kelsey, out, out, I think he outshines uh, Tony Gonzalez, and he's a he's a more of a wide receiver option than Tony ever was. Tony was a great blocker. Tony was he, Tony was a, a great tight end position. Uh, Travis Kelsey's more of a hybrid kind of tight end, which I love even more. Uh, but yeah, it you. If you're Patrick Mahomes, you can't force the ball to your best wide receiver. I know he can make plays. He can make shit happen. But if it's not there, don't force the ball. Do what you were doing weeks before. Take what take what the defense was giving you. Run the ball. God damn. We went up 27 points, and the offense just completely forgot how to run the ball. We We just stopped. Well, and that's why I asked about like the play calling like, because uh, Patrick Mahomes threw the ball forty-two times in this game. Yeah. Twenty-two of those passes came after the Chiefs were up twenty-seven points. My, yeah, like what? Like what is the play calling? Yeah. If I'm Patrick Mahomes, I would audible out of some place and you know call myself some. If you're paying attention to the game, uh, if Patrick Mahomes, you know, being the quarterback who he is, call audibles, make run plays. It's like if you don't like the play, the play calling. Be like, hey, let's let's run the ball more, you know. Patrick Mahomes has that kind of uh, that kind of drive, that kind of that kind of voice in this locker room. He can pretty much say, hey, let's run the ball, and I can guarantee you we'll run the ball. But I think I think both the uh, the coaches, and I think I'm right. I'm agree with Lance on there. I think the coaches and Patrick Mahomes were chasing the MVP because they knew that this they, game was going to yeah. be won so let's yeah. put up big so, numbers. Yeah, so let's put up big numbers. They got him three touchdowns. They wanted to keep they wanted to give him at least five or six touchdowns in this yeah. game and it backfired. And like I said, I think that this game took Patrick Mahomes out of the MVP conversation and hopefully those dumb plays leave with it too. I'd rather focus on the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. I just don't know why this team chooses not to run the ball. When it needs to, we're up twenty-seven nothing. We literally don't need to score any more points. Just cruise to the end of the game, take it into the halftime. You know, you're you're like five minutes away from halftime. Just take it into halftime. You know, run the clock down. Just let Pacheco do his thing. McKinnon was doing his thing. Just let them keep doing their thing. And I'm not. Here's the thing. I'm not even opposed to Patrick still throwing the ball. You know, ten to fifteen more times. My point though is. You, there were there was I could show the play by play on the game. There were three, four, five straight plays where Patrick's throwing the ball, and you're up three, four scores. If the if the Broncos had an offense that could make it a game on their own, like we're like, all right, we'll battle back. Second half, we're gonna come out, we're gonna fire. I would still throw, yeah. Then I would start throwing the ball a little bit because obviously you still have to respect the other offense. Yes. The point though is. The Chiefs knew this game was over once they went up 27 to nothing. In fact, I said earlier last week, and I felt very confident, Chiefs scored 12 points this game they should win. I feel that they could hold the Broncos under 12 points if they played their A game. So that's the problem I have, Eddie, is that there was no need for this game to ever be close. And the only reason it was, it wasn't because the Broncos played some great game. It's because the the Chiefs were literally handing them possessions of short fields. Yeah. And that's just that's unacceptable, man. So these are problems that the Chiefs can have because now the national narrative, and you really can't refute it, is do the Chiefs have a problem with their pass defense? Because you saw Jerry Judy, how many times he was getting open, and to Jerry Judy's credit, kid's a really talented player. But it's a real problem 
when all season long the Broncos can't break out offensively, like it'd be one thing if like earlier in the season the Broncos had a thirty-five point game. Yeah. Like, oh, we've seen them do it before. Like you could kind of give that excuse. Yeah, yeah. But they literally have not scored more than twenty-three points in a game all season. Yeah, and they did it. Against and they the scored twenty-eight they in this game. You. Now again, the defense was put in some really bad positions. Yeah, we can't blame the defense uh, at all in in those back-to-back. I mean, you get gassed, you get tired as a defense. Yeah. I mean, because look at the look at look at look at it. Before Patrick's first interception that put the Broncos in prime position, yeah, the defense, the Chiefs' defense gave up nothing. Nothing. They, they weren't giving up first downs. So it's that's my problem. And I know that the Broncos had a couple third down conversions, but that's been a Chiefs' problem forever. But they were not scoring points. No. They weren't even getting close to the red zone. It wasn't until Patrick gave them a lifeless team life, life gave them yeah. momentum that it would even became something it to pay the attention whole to. Yes. motivation of the team. And, and that's that's my problem with this. And I don't want to sit here and say that I'm complaining too much to the point where I think this team can't win the Super Bowl. This team no, can this still team very much be, win the Super Bowl. But if they play the same way they played the Broncos, this team is not going to make it far in the playoffs. Uh, obviously, it's a good thing that this is still happening in the regular season. Yes. Uh, because you still we still have four games left to where we can fix this. Yeah. The Chiefs can fix this. The Patrick Mahomes can fix the turnovers. He's had turnovers pretty much almost every game for like the past four or five games well the Bengals like, game he didn't have it but you're right like every game yeah, the Chiefs are having turnovers yeah they're, it's just a fumble yeah it's just turnovers yeah. and turn that's something the Chiefs struggle with last year early in the early last year but towards the second half of the season they adjusted they they, they held on to the ball a lot more and we saw what we could do towards the end of the season going into the playoffs we we weren't turning the ball over this team is the opposite. This team went from not turning the ball over much in the beginning of the season to now starting to t- turning the ball over a lot more. Is with this team can fix this and has to fix this, has to address yeah. the turnovers. I don't care if the defense gets turnovers. I don't care. I don't care if our defense gets that. That you know, that's I'll take it if it happens. But I don't. Care. We have to stop. Yeah. The offense. Yeah, in, in, in a nutshell, when you're up 27 points against the worst offense in football, under no circumstances should you be throwing the ball 22 times to only six real rushes in the second half. That yeah, just no. is simply inexcusable. So just run the clock down. It take it to next week. You know, now we have the Texans. I hope we weren't focusing on the Texans. No, that's yeah. That's, that's, do you know what I mean? Like. So what the Chiefs have to do now is hopefully run the ball a lot more because we cannot, as a team, go away from running the ball. We, if we would have just ran the clock against the Broncos, that's fine. Let it let it end twenty seven to ten, twenty seven to nine, twenty seven to fourteen. We don't need to score more points. We're good. Patrick Mahomes has his his stats. He has his touchdowns, and again, he grows on the MVP. If they if they win that game, twenty seven so, like nine or 30, 30 to nine, they yeah. score another field goal. Yeah, and Patrick doesn't have any of these interceptions. That actually helps his MVP case. Yes, yeah. it, it just run. It, it hurt. And I told Lance and I texted him uh, uh, during the game. I was like, "Why do we go away from what's working? Why do we always do this? We did that against the Bengals. We went away from the fucking running game, and I don't know why." I love how we start in with the running game. I love how this game, and we see how what this does. This offense it helps 
create everything everything it helps them create and then they go away from it and it's I, even I, more imperative without tyreek hill yeah and it and it it, 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 it like it hurt like it hurts in my eyes to see how we just go away from what's working i agree. I, I don't know what possesses andy Reid and, and and eric Bieniemy to go away from what's working i don't know if they want to you know like inflate stats for everybody yeah. i don't know I don't know if they want to get Travis Kelsey, you know, to break his own record of receiving yards, which he he potentially could yeah. if he wanted to. Yep. But we have focus on the game in hand. Don't focus on what what you can achieve if this happens and this. No, focus on what you can do in this game, and then focus on whatever else. Do you remember, remember a couple of years ago when uh, we had when we were just doing podcasts? We had Brandon Kylie on our show. He used to work at 610. Now he's back in St. Louis. And he he used to have this theory about how the Chiefs just need to run the ball through the air. And I was always against that, even though I love seeing Patrick throw the ball because the Chiefs obviously are going to win and lose games based on what yeah. Patrick can do. But th- this idea of just run the ball through the air is such a fictitious idea in the NFL because of the fact that NFL defenses are always going to find a way to adjust to that. And it, the team that always has given the Chiefs the biggest issues – over the last couple of years, has been the Bengals. What do they do? They drop right. eight. Yep. They pa- they rush three guys against the quarterback, and they tell Patrick, all right, we're going to sit in these zones. Good luck yeah. finding an open guy. And what is that? You can't you beat can't, teams through can't. the air when they're dropping eight. Yeah. That's not and, a consistent thing. It's crazy how we went from a running a, uh, a running era to a passing era to what we call like now a, a – I guess you can say an athletic quarterback era because yep. the quarterbacks cannot do any any like anything. But we still rely. We're, we're going away from the running back position, and I know you've addressed that before in this show. But I think the running back position is starting to come back and be as important and as crucial to teams contending for the Super Bowl. Why? Because teams have adjusted to those passing quarterbacks and dropping eight oh. and rushing three. Now your quarterback can't do really much unless he, he unless he's very 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 good with his legs and can create twenty rush uh, twenty rush yards per uh, attempt. I guess you can say. It, it's it, I think the teams have to start focusing into bringing a, a good. You don't even have to have a great running game as long as you have serviceable, ser- ser- serviceable running yes. game to where defenses have to adjust and respect the running game. Creating space for 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 plays to happen out in the field. Remember, you remember when the most un, the most unstoppable offense in the history of the NFL was the 2018 Chiefs when Kareem Hunt was here. Yes. Why was that? Rushing. Because he was a dual threat running back yeah. that could run and extend drives with his legs on the ground and then go catch passes yep. as well. He led the league in rushing literally the year before with 1,300 rushing yards, almost 1,300 rushing yards. That is why the Chiefs' offense has been so different. And ironically. What was the what was the play that put the game put the nail in the coffin in Super Bowl Fifty Four for the Chiefs? Damian Williams. Damian Williams running a touchdown. Yeah. Damian Williams scored two touchdowns in that game. that game. That's the point I'm trying to make here, guys. Is that obviously Patrick Mahomes is going to be what decides games. Obviously, you're going to need a defense that can make big stops, and, but you have to have, like Eddie's saying, a serviceable run game. And that's the thing about the Chiefs; they do have it. It's there. But they don't so use fucking it. utilize it. And I know my guy Jason Dunn from the Chief Concern Podcast uh, was saying something on the post game show with me and Marcus Dash this last Sunday about how he feels that there's a lot of lackadaisical things that were you know the Chiefs have a, a big victory or they're winning by a lot 
they start tinkering with stuff, start playing around and kind of just play. That's fine in games that you know are going to be over, but when you're giving the team's life... And it's still the first half. That's my point, man. It's like you still, can't get that lackadaisical. If you, you can get that lax, you can you can get that relaxed, but if it's the fourth quarter with like 10 minutes to go and you're up 20, 27 points, I get it. You start trying new things, no look passes from Patrick Mahomes, yeah. running the ball, run, doing some uh, Pacheco beating on the fucking, the one snapping the ball. Or, you know, you can start doing those trick plays, kind of get ready into, I guess you can say, the playoffs. Yeah. To where it, you cannot do that in the first half of a fucking game. You just, you can't. Focus on the game, put the team away, and then you can start experiencing new things. And, and it, to bring back the rushing game, yeah. we saw uh, with Kareem Hunt and the Chiefs, that was one of Patrick Mahomes' like best years that we've ever seen from a quarterback. Yeah, 100%. And it's due because defenses did not know who to like who to defend because if they drop back, they, they drop back and defend Patrick Mahomes, guess who's going to make the play? Yeah. P- Kareem Hunt. And we saw what this team struggled with into the late in the season and in the playoffs yeah. when Kareem Hunt was gone. I mean, my God, in that season against the number one ranked defense against the Patriots, they went into New England on Sunday Night Football and put up 40 points 40 with Kareem down. Hunt. They played the AFC Championship without Kareem Hunt, don't score in the first half, and put up 31 points, Four, sure, yeah. but it wasn't enough. Yeah. That's the point I'm trying to make. Chiefs but, score 40 points in that AFC if, Championship. If Kareem Hunt was in this team, I think would have had two Super Bowls. In 100%. That. Yeah, already. That's the value it, of running backs. That's the value of running backs because teams have to respect your offense. Uh, they have to respect the running game and the and the, and the, and the passing game. So they, they have to pick and choose what to do. And if the Chiefs, who have a, a sort of like, like Lance said, a serviceable running game, and in the Broncos situation, like when we were playing the Broncos last week, we had the lead. They could utilize this running game. It could even help increase Patrick Mahomes' yards because the Broncos would have to respect the running game, right. creating creating openings for for receivers to to catch passes. I I just hate the fact that we get we go away from what's working. I hate the I I fucking hate that. I've I've said it week in, week out, and that's the number one thing I've said since the Chiefs made Pacheco the starter. You have to give him the ball. If you don't, why why do you even have a running game? Right. So. And, and and positives before we move on to the Eddie Hour. Um, some really good really good performances in this game. Isaiah Pacheco had 16 total touches for 93 yards. Jerick McKinnon, absolute player of the game in my opinion. Uh, he had uh, 13 touches, 120. I'm sorry. Yeah, 13, 15 touches. 15 touches for 124 yards. And, yeah, 124 yards, two touchdowns. Juju Smith-Schuster, nine receptions for 74 yards and a nice touchdown. That was a great play by Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Patrick, Travis Kelsey, although didn't look right, still had four receptions for 71 yards. Noah Gray stepped up big time with three receptions for 45 yards. Uh, and then Harrison Butker, I always like to give him credit because I'll crush him if he doesn't play well. But Harrison Butker made both field goals and was four for four from extra points. That's all you can ask from him. He did his job. So there, and, and obviously Willie Gay with the forty-seven yard pick six. Uh, actually, that won the game. If we're being honest here, that beat the that beat the Broncos at the end of the game. Uh, at the, you know, at the end of the day. So a lot of positives to take from this one, but there are things that we just got to look at. And, and, and I don't like the fact that we have to sit here and talk about the coaching staff when I put my trust in this coaching staff to do the job the correct way. 
and they really put themselves in a position to potentially lose this game because they also didn't go for two when the Chiefs could have went up 14 points as opposed to 13 points, and then they only ended up winning by six. Had the Broncos had a good drive, score a touchdown, they win the game 35-34. So there's just a lot that... I think the Chiefs really left on the bone, man. A lot of meat to let they left on the bone. Hopefully they don't do that this week, but we ain't going to get to there yet. We ain't going to get to the Chiefs Texans yet because we got to get to the guy, our guy, Eddie, in the Eddie Hour. Eddie, a lot of World Cup still stuff going on. We have the World Final, the World Cup Final coming up tomorrow, tomorrow. at 8 a.m., if I'm Nine. not mistaken, 9 a.m. Uh, a lot of stuff still to talk about. We had a game this this uh, today with uh, Croatia and Morocco for third place. I'm sure you got some stuff to talk about with those, but nevertheless, floor is yours, man. What's in the Eddie Hour? All right, man, let's first talk. Uh, obviously, we've all heard about Steph Curry and the injury that he's dealing with. Uh, he's out for for the next few weeks, uh, according to what I was reading. I don't know if it's accurate or not. But what do you think What do you think about that situation? Uh, it's a really unfortunate situation for a lot of reasons. One, obviously, a superstar player like Steph Curry, who's one of the most notable figures in the, NF- in the NBA and in sports in general, uh, goes down. That's going to only hurt the brand. It's going to hurt everybody, including and especially the the Warriors, a team that have been uh, – it's so crazy. They show their, their offensive rating with and without Steph Curry this season. With Steph Curry on the court, they had a – I think it was a 118 offensive rating. That's the best in the NBA. Without him, they have a 99 offensive rating, which is the worst, I think, in 10 years. So they are literally they are literally Steph Curry reliant. And I remember hearing about Kaminga and these other young guys that the, the Warriors had coming up. They're supposed to be these next guys in line. They've not been that. Jordan Poole got his big contract. He's not lived up to it yet. Draymond Green's too busy worrying about fans and getting ejected out of games and actually going out there contributing to victories. And Klay Thompson, as much as I love him, as much as I respect him, he's just clearly never going to be the player he once was. And he's in his 30s now. I'm just worried about this team as a collective. I really, I'm actually curious about how long Steve Kerr is going to stay as the head coach because it might, it might be officially over for the Warriors. I know I threw dirt on him a couple of years ago and they ended up winning the title last year, but a lot went right for the Warriors to get back to that victory. And Steph Curry has been nothing short of a great MVP style player this season. This is one of his best seasons of his entire career. So him going down for any length of time is going to absolutely screw this this Warriors team. I actually think he's going to miss, in my opinion, because of a shoulder injury and how much that affects not only his shooting ability, but just the pain tolerance and things of that nature. I'm expecting Steph Curry to miss at least four weeks. And with a team like them that are, I think they're 2-15 and 15 on the road this season, they have, they have a big stretch of road games still to go before they get that home stretch. I think the Warriors are done. I think their season's done. I think they need to wrap up shop. I know we haven't even hit Christmas yet, and I know that's when the season really starts. They don't have depth. They're not playing well. And, again, they're too Steph Curry reliant now that he's dealing with injuries. And we know that with shoulder injuries, once you have it pop out, it can pop right back out again. I, I'm worried about this team. I, I think they're done. And I, it sucks for Steph because I think this is a wasted season for him. And it's it, it, like a it's like a sickness around the league because KD, although the Nets are playing better basketball, we all know how this story is going to end. And the Lakers, as great as LeBron has been, they're still like five games under 500. So I, it just it sucks to see the superstars of the superstars being wasted on bad teams and bad efforts. So, yeah, it's it sucks, man, all together because the viewing experience alone is, is going to go down. Anthony Davis leaves game. Uh, was it was a yesterday after 17 minutes, 10 points. Well, that's an evergreen statement. With if a, I've ever heard one. With a right foot injury, what does this mean for the Lakers? It just means more of the same. Anthony Davis is just he's he's soft. I mean, I hate to say it, he's a great player. The dude is having an incredible season. He might be defensive player of the year, and he's averaging like 27, 28 points a game. He's having a great season, but the man cannot avoid injuries. 
And you saw them have a big win against the, the Nuggets last night. LeBron James absolutely willed them to that victory. Uh, you know, Anthony Davis going down early and just not coming back into the game with the ankle injury. It's 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 so frustrating, man. And furthermore, this 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 bleeds into the team because as great as Anthony Davis and LeBron have been, you're talking about a team having two guys playing at such a high level. One guy is about to be 38 years old. The other guy is an injury-prone player. You need to have depth around them. And Austin Reeves might be their third, fourth best player. That's not a guy that should be in your starting rotation. Austin Reeves is a fine eighth man, ninth man on a, on a good team. He's out there playing meaningful minutes. This Lakers team is just, as it's currently constructed, is just not good enough. They need to trust, trade Russell Westbrook. They need to go and get a Buddy Heald. They need to go and get a, uh, a Bogdanovich. They need to go get a guy like that that can help spread the spread the court a little bit and give LeBron and AD some fucking help, man, because they're just not good. Pat Beverly has been awful. Uh, Dennis Schroeder's not done nearly enough to convince me that he's going to be a guy that's going to be on this team in, in a couple months. I, I just, like I said, I think this is just more of the same because I feel as long as AD is going to be on this team, they're always just going to be that much shorter because it just, it just has not worked out over these last couple of years. I just seen was it the other day, the Yankees signed Carlos Rod- Rodon. I, I have to look at the con. Let me look at the contract real quick. I'm sure, you, I'm sure people know who that is. Hopefully, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to see if I can find the contract. Do you happen to have the numbers by chance? I don't have the numbers. Um, let's see here. I saw that he did it sign a, with it was, the, a pr- it was a pretty big con- Okay. Six years, $162 million <coughs> deal. That's that's pretty. And, and, and it, uh, So wh- what is your thoughts on like Carlos Rodon going to the Yankees? Obviously, that was uh, them him adding uh, Rodon, and then you obviously kept Judge. Yeah. And you're, you're extending this. This team, so thoughts on that? Well, Carlos Rodon has been an, an insanely good pitcher uh, throughout his career. He was great with the Giants. My problem, though, is a few things. One, Carlos Rodon is already thirty years old, and I and, I, and for the record, whenever teams sign left-handed pitchers, that's usually a good thing because you want to have lefties, especially at the top of your rotation. But again, he's thirty years old. He's coming off a great season, so is it going to get any better, especially mm. when you transition from the NL to the AL, AL. because the AL is much deeper, much better batting lineups. Going to the AL East where there's a lot of good hitters, I think this is a desperation heave because, like I talked about last week with the Aaron Judge thing, it's about keeping people in the seats. Does it make you a contender? If everything goes right with Carlos Rodon, let's say he starts 35 times. Let's say he keeps that ERA under under three like he did last season. I think his ERA was like 285 or 288. If he can keep that same ERA and the strikeout to walk in or, or uh, ratio, then I can see them being a team that could that could contend for the AL for the AL. But a lot has to go right. Aaron Judge has to stay healthy. You're gonna have to you have to expect that uh, Garrett Cole's gonna p- pitch better. You're gonna hope that your bullpen finally looks good. I mean, there's a lot of questions still on this Yankees team. So I think what they're doing is they're putting names to the problem. They're becoming the Cowboys of the of the of the MLB, where they're they're chasing names. They're not really chasing championships, even though that's what they say that they're chasing. Yeah. I just don't see this team as I I don't think that Rodon, although makes he does make them a better team. I don't think he it makes, makes them better in the, the sense. Yeah, I think it makes them better in the sense that he's going to be a guy that doesn't. He doesn't. I don't think that makes them a contender. I think he just makes them good. He just makes them a little bit better. I, I just. I don't see the Yankees as a contender because I don't have belief that Aaron Judge is going to stay healthy. We all know John Carlos Stanton won't stay healthy. And again, Garrett Cole has not lived up to that contract yet. And I don't know if Rodon's going to. 
And what the Yankees need to do is add rotation. Exactly. Rather than starting. I think they, they have good enough starting pitchers, but they just don't have the rotation to complement those uh, right. starting pitchers. Right. Which is, I think, where they're falling short is uh, the rotation. All right, let's talk about the massive news of uh, the, the San Francisco Giants signing shortstop Carlos Correa for 13 years, $350 million. Obviously, this is a, a, a plan B situation for the Giants because they couldn't land Aaron Judge, so they went for the next be- best thing, I guess. Yeah, Carlos Correa is an awesome player. So in the in the... And the macro of it all, you're like, oh, yeah, this is a great signing. And I know league-wide, teams have been signing guys these 10-plus-year deals. But if you look at the majority of the ones that have gone down of late with Tatis and Soto and all these other great players, they're usually in their early to mid-20s. So you're going to get out of those contracts when they're in their Mm mid-30s. The problem for Correa is he'll be 29 years old this year, which means that they're going to be paying him into his 40s. We all know that Carlos Correa is not going to be playing baseball in his 40s, and if he still is... He's not going to be Carlos Correa of today. So my question is always, especially in baseball, when these are fully guaranteed deals, why are you doing that? Why did baseball, of all leagues, do stuff like this? Because you're going to have to pay this money out. In football, you can give Patrick Mahomes a 10-year, $500 million deal, but you only have to pay him real money for three to five years. Those other years don't really count. Mm -hmm. Same with Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr and these other quarterbacks. They look huge. But they really only last for a few years at best. That's the language that you have to pay attention to. In baseball, these contracts make even less sense because of the fact of age and how much you're really going to have to pay them, which is all of it. So it may help them right now for the next two to three years because he's still probably got another three or four years of really good baseball left in him. But when he hits 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, where is he going to be at in his career? I can't expect it's going to be at the top of his game. So you're going to be paying top-level money for a guy that won't be paying at the top level of his game. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't want to be the wet blanket here, but I think this contract's really only going to be good for about three to four years. All right, let's talk UFC. I know you – I think you, you you said you saw uh, the other card, UFC 282. Yeah. Which was uh, last week. And all these fights, which one were you intrigued about the most and uh, which one – do you think disappointed you the most? Uh, I, I know which one disappointed me the most. It was the the Patty Pimbleton fight uh, because of the fact that, well, first of all, uh, what's it called? The Alex Moreno uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio. I forget how to pronounce his name. I apologize mm-hmm. so much. That fight was incredible. Uh, I felt bad for Alex Moreno because he he came into this fight uh, as as a, a, a late uh, addition to the fight. I felt bad. I'm sorry. I felt bad for Santiago. Because he was supposed to fight somebody else and ends up having to fight Alex Moreno, Morono last second. But it ends up being a great fight because Santiago ends up knocking out uh, uh, Moreno, Morono at the very end. He it looked like he broke his jaw. I remember seeing that strike. It was an amazing strike. That fight was very entertaining. I think the fight of the of the entire uh, night was uh, either the oh yeah, Driscus Duplessis versus Darren Till. Because they, Duplessis at the beginning of the fight was beating the shit out of Till, hit him in the side of the head. I thought they were going to call the fight. 
And then Till kind of like outla outlasted it. And then he starts putting together some good combinations. Duplissy in the second round was just gassed. He had nothing. I'm like, oh, he's probably going to lose. And then that third round, I think it was the third round, Duplissy finally got him to the ground, beating the shit out of him, then choked him out. Great fight. I think that was probably the fight of the night. But I absolutely loved the Bryce Mitchell-Tapuria fight because Tapuria was supposed to be the guy that was going to take the loss, even though he was 12-0 coming into the fight. But everyone was big on Bryce Mitchell. Everyone, he's got this big old fan base. He's a flat earther, so he's got that group of people coming at him as well. And then Tapuria just dominated him from the beginning of the fight, just beat the shit out of him and tapped him out, which is Bryce Mitchell's strength. He's actually this is the grounded power, the, the submission guy. So it was it was a very impressive win for Tapuria, and I wish him nothing but the best moving forward. But let me get to the last two fights. Because, man, I feel I should revise my statement and say that the Patty Pimbleton fight, uh, Pimblet fight, uh, is the one that pissed me off the most because I think both fights, that and the main event, the main event with Jan uh, Blanko, Blankovic and uh, Magadon uh, Ankulev, was these two fights were absolutely atrocious in how they were judged. Absolutely atrocious. As as much as I like Patty, Patty the Batty, fun guy, charismatic, really good for the UFC, he lost this fight. He lost this fight. When it goes to cards, when it goes to decisions, you don't go by, well, damage, well, this. No, you go by the score. Who landed more significant strikes? Who owned the octagon? Who took down who? Things of that nature. Jared Gordon won. If you go by the scores, he won more rounds. But because Patty is the name and the figurehead and didn't get knocked out, and all the, they gave him the decision, and it wasn't just a decision. They gave him the unanimous decision. Go watch that fight. There was nothing unanimous about that. Patty did not have a good fight. I don't know how... The judges came to that conclusion, and that is why, especially with this whole James Krause thing we talked about last week, man, there might be some stuff that's going on that's even deeper than just a team doing this shit. And then you go to the main event, and I love Jan Blakowicz, or Blakowicz, however you say his name. I know I'm butchering his name, and I apologize. It's hard for me to pronounce his name. I love his story. You know, he lost his belt to Ankulev. He gets an opportunity to get it back. He's an older fighter, 39 years old, really worked his way back, and I love it. And the beginning of the fight was awesome. He... T destroyed Mohamed Ekulev's legs. Just, I mean, tee it off on him. He, it was so bad, Ekulev came in with a southpaw, he had a switch because that leg was destroyed. He literally couldn't stand on it. I'm thinking, oh, he's going to finish him. He's going to get this fucking, he's going to get the interim situation going, and he's going to get the belt back. Mohamed makes some adjustments in the second and third round, and then just starts destroying Jan. Gets him on the ground, beating him up, trying to choke him out, just dominating the fight for two, three rounds. They go to this judge's scorecard. It shows that Ankulev landed, I think, 18 or 19, maybe almost 20 more significant strikes in this fight. And they call it a draw. A split decision draw. So these dudes just beat the living Christ out of each other for a belt. And there's no decision. Ankulev was furious. It was so bad that Jan, after the fight, said he should have the belt. He should have won. He literally takes the mic from Joe Rogan and says he should have won. And Joe Rogan goes, yeah, I agree. Dana White didn't have an answer for it in the post-game, post-fights. Nobody does. Ankylov's pissed off at everyone saying, well, because I was talking to our guy Blake Schneider's love him to death, but he's like, well, if you look at the beginning of the fight, Jan was dominating, he was landing the damage, all this. That's all true. But once again, when you have to go to the cards, when there was no finish, and it shows me that one guy landed more significant strikes, had like six, seven takedowns to zero, that guy should win. 
I had a real problem with the judges in those, those two big fights, man. Those are the two biggest fights of the night, and they failed the viewing audience so badly in this one. They failed these fighters so bad in this one. If you don't want to take my word for it, go listen to anybody that has any real credible uh, uh, experience in the UFC. Joe Rogan himself was saying that he knows that these fights didn't go the way that they judged it. Just take their word for it. Otherwise, it was an enjoyable card. I love the UFC, but Eddie, they got some real problems, man. And, and I think this tied the the UFC record this card, didn't it, with uh, finishes? Yeah, they had with, the, with I think ten. Dana White was handing out fight of the night. He was giving fifty thousand dollars to like nine different fights. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten straight and finishes. That, and that is why I'm so upset, Eddie. Because otherwise, this was a great card. It was so entertaining all the way up to the Patty fight and to the Jan and Ankulev fight. And those are supposed to be the ones that you're like looking forward to the most. And it's just like they just they squandered it. And now, kind of like we talked about with Patrick Mahomes throwing the interceptions, mm -hmm. instead of talking about the glorious stuff, we're sitting here talking about this shit. I should be sitting here talking about, bro, this is one of the best cards I've watched in a couple years. Because it honestly was. It was a good card. But they just, they absolutely just, just, ah, oh, they destroyed it, man. I, I'll tell you what, uh, Raul Rosas Jr. Oh, I was, man, uh, I totally forgot to mention was, that. I'm I was, so sorry. I was very impressed with this fight. Uh, 18 years old. 18 years old. Signed at 17. His He signed his contract at 17. That is insane. If Dana White hands a 17-year-old a contract, you know that dude's a badass. And he beat his opponent so fast that I almost forgot the fight happened. Because as soon as the fight happened, he's on his back, and he just submits him. Yeah, it was like, I think it was like, yeah. 244 in yeah. the first round. And it... And, you might read his two while well, it's still two minutes 40 no like he literally put him in the ground within the first minute and it was just a ground battle for he was like on his back minute. yeah he was like a backpack like, he, <laughs> he just couldn't he let go yeah he wouldn't let go and yeah. then he finally took him to the ground one last time and he was able to get him and uh, i i think he passed out didn't he no, no he, he, tapped. he tapped he tapped yeah he he tapped yeah he's he's a mexican fighter uh fighting out of las vegas fought a guy 11 years older than him <laughs> 11 years older than him. The guy that was and, in his prime. And the funny thing is, Jay Perrin, or whatever you say his name, he was talking that shit yep. before the fight. He knew he was 18. He was talking that shit. He was confident he was going to beat that ass. Mm -hmm. And then Raul Rosas was kind of calm, and you kind of said, like, we'll see what, like, you're going to see what happens or whatever when you talk that shit or some shit like that. So that was that was a very impressive fight. I, I got to see it on, uh, on Facebook. Uh, when it happened and i got to see the replay very very uh promising young man uh yeah. very very promising and Extremely you know, poised you know what the you know what the crazy thing is about him he just learned the ground game yeah he's just learning life yeah he's 18 years old he he was not a ground guy i don't i think this is his first finish in submission i think yeah he he's a very good striker and for him to add that ground, that kind of ground game to his game, whew, yep. he's only 18. He ain't going to stop growing until about 20, <laughs> 24, 25. So that, and for Dana White to, to see that potential in a 17-year-old who is now obviously 18, but God, he was still in high school when he signed his fucking UFC contract. Right. That's crazy to yeah. say. But Hats off to the kid. Yeah, uh, UFC. That's it. Um, now I want to just talk about World Cup, and then we'll we'll yeah. move on. Uh, obviously, last week we saw the semifinals Friday and Saturday. Uh, obviously, we knew the results from the Argentina Croatia game on 
on Saturday. So we, I kind of talked a little bit about that. Um, and then, obviously, that same day, we had uh, France versus uh, Morocco. Heads off to Morocco. Uh, they made it super far in the tournament. Nope. Obviously, I didn't even have them getting out of the group. A lot of people didn't even have them making the semifinal. That is, the African continent should be happy of what just happened, what they witnessed. It, it is by far the the best finish in 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 the African continent's history. Yeah, it it was a, it was a great story. It was great to see that uh that an underdog like that was able to make it that far in the tournament. This shows this shows you uh that anybody can win. Anybody if they really try can get close to winning the World Cup. It is very, very, very hard. But this team should give uh, hopes to other teams around the same same level as Morocco that they can compete and they can get close to the prize. I love that story. Uh, just everything about that. I want to congratulate them. Uh, they did play today for third place. Uh, they ended up losing to Croatia. Uh, but... Nevertheless, finishing fourth in a World Cup, unbelievable. Hats off to them. Uh, they did an amazing, amazing job. Croatia, obviously, after losing against Argentina and, and, and Messi, it was a very, very crushing loss. Um, and and it, it, I, I think uh, they could have deserved a little bit more. Uh, there were some calls that went against their way. Uh, I think there were some calls that went to, to favor Argentina. But I think overall, it was a very evenly matched game. Uh, the first goal came and Croatia fell apart. Uh, they did not know how to how to defend, how to how to con- take the take back the control of the game that they had, and it kicked them in the ass. But now they went for third place today this morning. Uh, they ended up winning two to one against Morocco. Uh, Great story uh, from Luka Modric, who is arguably one of the best midfielders to ever play the game. Uh, he carried this team to a to a final last year, uh, last World Cup, and now to a a third place finish. Um, sad to say that it was his last World Cup, his last game in a World Cup, but man, he gave it his all and and it showed. And again, hats off to Croatia as well. They they did an amazing job. Uh, France, my God, what can I say about France? It's uh, they're a powerhouse, man. Uh, they they literally got riddled with injuries before the before the tournament started. I think they were down six to I think it was six to eight starters that mm-hmm. they lost, sixty seven starters that they lost before the World Cup even began. This tells you just how much depth this team has. To be back into a World Cup final, it's not it's not easy to make it to a final. It's not it's not easy. Especially obviously four years. A lot can happen in four years. A lot can happen. Teams can it's it's uh let let's uh put this into perspective. Four years ago, how were the Chiefs to four years now? To the to, to now. It's a completely different team. And for this team to kind of hold the court together with Mbappe, you got Verane, you got Hugo Lloris, who is the goalie. And to deal with injuries the way that they dealt 
it's unbelievable. This team is amazing to watch. Man, now we got the World Cup final tomorrow at 9 o'clock. By far, that's going to be the, the most viewed uh, sporting event in the next four years <laughs> till the next one comes. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow, they're expecting about around 1.7 to 2 billion people to, to, to watch the World Cup final. That's, incre- that's crazy to even think that that one quarter of the yeah, one quarter of the world's population is probably going to watch this game yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. It is it, it is unbelievable the amount of people that they're expecting to watch this game. This game is going to break records. You have two amazing amazing stories going going against each other in a World Cup final. You couldn't ask for more. Yeah. You couldn't ask for anything better. Yes, you could have had Ronaldo in there, Cristiano Ronaldo, Messi. It would have been a great story, but I think this is even a far better story. Yeah. Because you have Mbappe, who is 23 years old, 23 or 24 years old. He is on the verge of becoming the youngest player to have two World Cups. That That's insane. Historic, yeah. That's insane. It's Pele stuff, man. Yeah. That, and what, we, what, what I talked about last... Uh, Last week is uh, that there's only been two two teams that have won back-to-back World Cups, and that's uh, Italy in the 1930s and Brazil in 1958 and 1962, I believe. That's insane. That it, that's super hard to do. Yeah, winning back-to-back World Cups. That's that on its own is an incredible story. Them just achieving the final to defend their title. It's like it's like when the Chiefs went went to the Super Bowl again to play the Bucks to defend that title that they won the year previous. Yeah. yeah. It's very 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 hard. And you just making it to the Super Bowl, you know how hard it is making it to the Super Bowl. Just imagine a World Cup tournament that happens every 4 years and obviously you have to account for like the aging veterans and the new ones coming up. It, it it's it's very very hard and for France to do it. Dealing with all those injuries, amazing. And on the other hand, do you have another amazing story of Argentina and Lionel Messi's last game in a World Cup? He can come back and try and play when he's uh, 39 years old in, in the U.S., but at that point, what, what for? Just ride the bench? The story is... Can Lionel Messi win the, the the trophy that has eluded him his whole career? Can he finally lift a World Cup? This could potentially solidify Lionel Messi as the greatest of all time. The greatest of all time. You can argue Pelé has three World Cups, yeah. You can argue Maradona has a World yeah. But Messi's a, a far better athlete. A far better competitor. He's a creator of the game. He's a finisher of the game. Maradona was a finisher. Pelé was a finisher. They weren't creators. Messi has the quality of both. A creator and a finisher. It's We've seen this World Cup that Messi has tied Diego Maradona's assist record. Now he he is... One assist away from breaking the record. It, it's incredible to see 
something like this happen in a World Cup final. You can either have a back-to-back champion or you can have arguably a player be solidified as the greatest of all time. You best believe I will be tuned into this son bitch tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. I am not missing this World Cup final for anything. It it's gonna be a very, very good game. Hell I think yeah, I think both teams are very, very good. I think this I think this game could potentially go into overtime and we could potentially see penalty kicks tomorrow. I think that's that that's how good and competitive this game is gonna be. I think both teams are gonna be close to to scoring goals in the first uh in the in the first half. I think in the second half that's when we'll we'll start seeing goals. I think this could potentially end up in a two two draw and then we're gonna go into overtime. Overtime, then we're gonna go into PKs. I think PKs is where Messi and Argentina wins, in my opinion. That's who I'm picking. That's who I've stuck with since the beginning of the World Cup. I've said it here. If you don't believe me, go back into the the, the episode right before the World Cup started. I picked Argentina to win, and I, I'm almost there. So tune in tomorrow, even if you don't like soccer, even if you don't like anything like that. Even if, Tomorrow's game is very, very important to both countries and it's going to be a very competitive game i cannot wait for tomorrow and that's it for me hell yeah man good eddie hour appreciate that each and every week and i am very much looking forward to this world cup as well france is a great story and bappe is a great player i'm really still pulling for messi to finally get his world cup because i feel like it's just it's just right for this to happen and bappe is going to have at least two or three more opportunities to get another world yeah. cup so i want to see messi get this one finish out on top Argentina deserves it. He deserves it. I'd love to see that happen. And again, appreciate the Eddie Hour. Eddie, as always. Let's get to some Week 17 in, or I'm sorry, Week 15 NFL God picks. Dang, trying to finish the season already? Oh, man, what the hell am I trying to do over here? <laughs> week 17. I put. I even put Week 17. Week 15 picks. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 where I'm at right now. We already yeah, posted. Yeah, we already playoffs. posted our social media account. Uh, the three games today. So if you want to see our scores, who we have, go ahead and look us up on Facebook and the Spoken Pe- uh, Group and on Twitter at the Spoken Pod. You can see where we actually put those games, where we see who we see winning. But I want to get to three games on the uh, Sunday slate that I think are really big games, really important games across the league. Maybe not so much for so for the Chiefs, uh, but but just in the league, and I think they're they're fun to talk about. So we have the Detroit Lions visiting the, the New York Jets. Why is this an important game? Because I think if the Lions win out, or at least win three of their next four, they're going to make the playoffs. Because yeah. the NFC is just so bad, and they've played really well, especially at home. And the Jets are 7-6, and six, still fighting for a playoff spot. Not currently in the playoff picture, but we know how crazy things change so quickly, especially the AFC side of things. I think the Jets are coming out here wanting to fight as hard as they can to get back Must in the playoff win. picture. Too great of a defense not to play. Mike White, their best quarterback, got hit, uh, injured with a rib injury against the Bills last week. He's out of this game. Joe Flacco is the second starting quarterback or the backup quarterback in this game, which brings back Zach Wilson, which I'm not big on. I think he's a bust, and I don't think the Jets want him either. Having said that, this is a game in New York against, like I said, a, a desperate game for both teams. The Lions right now are playing better football overall. But the Lions are a team that are so night and day different on the road and at home. So and the at home, and this is just this is their scoring totals at home this season, the Lions. 35, 36, 45, 27, 15. It was the Green Bay game. It was a really weird game. Uh, 25, 40, and 34. But on the road this season, they've not been nearly as good. 24, 0, 6, 31, 31, 
And then, yeah, man, so they've only played a few road games this year, and they literally got they got eggshelled in one game and then put up six the next. So they've been a much better scoring team at home. The Jets are a defense that are not only great. They're, I think they're uh, si- uh, top six in total defense. I think they're third in total defense, fourth in pass defense, sack rate their fourth, interception rate sixth. They're, they're a great, great defense. But this is a matchup that's interesting because of the fact that Jared Goff has faced Robert Sala as a defensive coordinator many times back when he was at for, the 49ers and Jared Goff was with the Rams. So Jared Goff knows this defense, but Sala has actually owned Jared Goff a lot. They, they lost their last four games against the 49ers when they both were back at their respective places. And there was even a game where Robert Sala held Jared Goff to a career low uh, 78, uh, was it 78? Yeah, 78 yards. He held him to 78 yards in a single game. They're three and four in seven games as a starter against Sala's defense. Held him to 70, 78, 78 yards and one loss in 2019. So I'm expecting Robert Sala to have a great defensive game plan against Jared Goff. Being on the road, not in Detroit, out in the, out in the climate, it's going to be a cold game. This is going to be a really ugly one because I'm not expecting Zach Wilson to have a great game by any means. But I do expect the, the Jets to come out here and win this game. As it's currently standing, if I'm not mistaken, the Jets are a one-point uh, favorite, so it's a pick essentially. The over-under is 43.5. I have it way under that. I don't think these teams are going to score a bunch of points. I think the Jets are going to really ugly this one up, keep it close. And I think Jared Goff's going to struggle in this one. And I have the Jets winning this game by more than, more than one point. Hmm. <clears throat> All I'm going to say is uh, it's a complete difference uh, between the Jets' defense and the 49ers' defense. Um, and <clears throat> the Lions have won five of the last six games, I believe. They are on a roll. And they very know, uh, they they very well know that they, they if they win this game, they can make that push for the playoffs. Yeah. I think the Jets, dealing with uh, not knowing who their starting quarterback is pretty much and the whole situation with bringing back Sack Wilson, uh, Mike White dealing with an injury, uh, all the drama that's going on around there. Uh, I think it's a perfect situation for the Lions to go in there and and beat the Jets. I, I think the Lions are a far better team this late into the season. Uh, I think the Lions peaked at the right time. And I think the Lions are going to make that push into the uh, to get into the playoffs. And I think that this is where it starts. And I think the players are very well aware that they have to win this game. It's a must win for the Lions. And I think they will do just that. Uh, yes, uh, Robert Sala can, can scheme against Jared Goff all he wants. But like I said, that's a complete, di- complete difference between the 49ers defense, who, to my opinion, were elite with uh, Robert Sala when that, that 2019 the 2020 Super Bowl uh again that that was an elite defense uh to the Jets good defense uh I think Jared Jared Goff can go in there and have a great game uh throw for like three touchdowns or something like that Mm -hmm. over over 250 300 yards this this is a game for this this is a statement game for the Lions if they want to make that push for the for the playoffs and and I think it's gonna it's gonna start here, and I got the Lions over the Jets, thirty four twenty seven. All right, I like it. Uh, then, I, then another game I want to point to it actually has to do with the AFC West. Uh, the, the Raiders are hosting the uh, the uh, New England Patriots. Now, this isn't a game where I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, the Patriots are a team that can't score very well. They have a decent defense. They have a top ten defense. 
But they've also they haven't faced a lot of really good quarterbacks, and when they have, they haven't played very well, especially of late. And um, I think the Patriots are finally realizing that having an offensive coordinator matters. And wouldn't you know, they're finally going up against their former offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels. Now, I'm not somebody that believes Josh McDaniels is a good head coach whatsoever. But one thing this guy is really good at is drawing up plays, scheming plays. And the Raiders are getting healthy at the right time. They get Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro. They're expected to be back this week. Not to mention the fact that Josh Jacobs, the running back, is leading all, all the entire NFL in rushing. Derek Carr is coming off a bad game. Josh McDaniels knows that this is a game where he really wants to make a statement against his former team. They know what he's got, but he also knows what they got defensively. He's been, I think he's been an assistant with uh, Bill Belichick on and off for about 14, 15 years. And Bill Belichick understudies, unlike Andy Reid, have done actually pretty well against Bill Belichick. It's right, he's right around 500 against his former assistants, whereas Andy Reid's dominated his assistants. Um, this is going to be a close game, but I'm going to give the better quarterback, better skill players, and the home team an advantage in this one. Mm. I think the Raiders are going to pull out this victory. Not that it's going to really matter in the grand scheme of things, but I think they're going to make just enough plays offensively. Mac Jones is going to get pissed off at Matt Patricia again. The defense for the Patriots will play fine, but against a rush attack like Josh Jacobs, who is still battling injuries, but he's still been very effective, and a team that, like I said, got healthy at the right time at home, feeling good about themselves, I'm expecting the the the, the Raiders to pull out a close victory in this one. I'll, I'll give them a three or four point victory in this one. Uh, yeah, I got the Raiders winning this game as well. I think the Patriots not having an offensive coordinator is going to hurt them. Uh, and it, it, We've seen it week in, week out that it's hurting them. Uh, that uh, having an offensive coordinator is crucial for every team in the league. Um, you see the quarterback and Matt Patricia going at it and yelling at each other. That's not good for the team. And, and especially in a, in a moment like towards the end of the season where the games matter even more to teams. Because for some reason, the end of the season, even three win teams start getting better. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's 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 crazy. Uh, I I don't think Mac Jones is a good quarterback. He's he's a decent quarterback. I don't think he's what everybody expected, and I think he's shown that in this two seasons that that this this two 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 of his late seasons. Yeah, uh, I just think Derek Carr. And this uh, Raiders offense is a lot better than what the Patriots have. And they obviously the Raiders defense, I think, could potentially be better than the Patriots defense this year. Uh, with Max Crosby just, you know, being an absolute animal. Uh, and, and I think I, I think that's 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 gonna be a big part of the game. The defense uh defeat defense scheme. How how do they defend uh Mac Jones? Uh, but I think th- they're gonna do good enough. Uh, I think uh, Max Crosby is gonna get in there, do his thing like he always does, week in, week out. Um, but like you said, uh, the Raiders are getting healthy at the right time. They have the best running back in the game. Uh, so I got the I got the Raiders winning twenty four seventeen. Okay, I like it. I like it. Uh, and then we have the game I want to touch on the most, uh, the third and final game I want to talk about. We'll give our full slate of picks as we do every Sunday uh, before the games kick off on before noon. The Titans are visiting the Chargers at SoFi. So the Chargers are banged up. They don't have Derwin James in this game, or at least they're saying he's doubtful with a quadricep injury. Big, big part of their defense that's been otherwise terrible this year, but Derwin James has always been a great player since he walked into the league. 
Uh, so that'll be a big loss, but the Titans are a team that have twice as many injuries and will more likely have twice as many players out. And if you look at their uh, current stature right now of players that are actually out, I mean, they have a Monty Hooker out, the Hilliard's going to be out. Cool. The better quarterback, I guess you want to say home field advantage. I don't think it's going to be much of a home field, but they're going to be home. They're going to be feeling good about themselves after a nice victory they just had this last week. Especially against the Dolphins. Yeah, uh, which is why I'm picking the Titans still. <laughs> so, uh, You got me on that one. Look, look man. The, this is when the Chargers will always shit their pants. When they should win. When they are expected to win. They're three-point favorites in this game. They have, like I said, quarterback advantage. They have the health advantage. They're at home. They should win this game, which is why they're not going to. And here's the reason. I'm not just going to say that and just leave it there. The advantages that the, the, the Titans have, and it's glaring, is coaching and run game. See, I'm going to reference the Chiefs game as to why I'm picking the Titans in this one. So the Chiefs obviously won that game a few weeks ago against the Titans 20-17. to But there was context to that game. Obviously, Malik Willis played, not Ryan Tannehill. They had a string of injuries of guys out, including Amani Hooker and Hilliard and other players that could have played that game. Guys got injured in that game for the Titans. All those things, and it was a three-point win in overtime. It was, not a, it was not a game that was decided early. The Chiefs didn't have that game wrapped up. Titans played their asses off in a very hostile environment, in a place they've not had a lot of success, and again, with their backup quarterback. And they still had 172 rushing yards in that game. Patrick Mahomes is what saved the Chiefs. Because as bad as he played in certain instances, he had 509 yards of offense by himself and two touchdowns. I'm not expecting Justin Herbert to go for 509 yards in this game. And even though he's got Mike Williams and Keenan Allen back, Austin Eckler's healthy and having a really good season, Derwin James is going to be missed in this one big time. Because they are already what, what the 29th rushing defense in the league against Derrick Henry. The Chiefs, as bad as they've been on defense at times this season, are one of the best rushing defenses in the league. And Derrick Henry still did what he did against them. He had over 115 rushing yards by himself in that game. I'm expecting Derrick Henry to have a monster game in this one. I'm expecting the Titans to run the time of possession. I'm expecting Justin Herbert to shit his pants. You know why that is? Because for the first time in a long time, Justin Herbert's got expectation on him. Everybody loves his talent, super talented kid, doing all these great things, putting up numbers. But what have they amounted to so far? Nothing. And Brandon Staley is not is not a head coach that can string together back-to-back -back good game plans. He had a good one last week. Am I expecting him to outcoach Mike Vrabel? No. This is going to be a close game. I trust the coaching uh, coaching staff on the Titans side far more. Titans are on a four-game losing streak. Am I expecting them to lose four straight and five straight games? No. I think they upset the Chargers in this one. We're going to sit here and go, how did they pull this off? got all these players injured what the hell is Brandon Staley and Justin Herbert doing and if we know anything it's always been the Chargers to come that close to, to, to succeeding but always end up failing I am picking the upset I think the Titans squeak out a two three point victory in this one and it's going to blow the it's, it's going to start it's going to start really ramping up those rumors about Sean Payton taking over as the Chargers head coach it's going to really start ramping that up because I think Brandon Staley if they lose this game Brandon Staley will get fired because if they lose the Chiefs clinch the AFC West and the Chargers more than likely won't become a playoff team Man, Sean Payton with that Chargers team, I, <laughs> that's something the Chiefs do really have to pay attention to because Sean oh, Payton. Oh, yeah, make them a lot that, more oh, respectable. Oh, my yes. God. Um, 
the way he was able to extend Drew Brees' career the way he did. <laughs> I know, man. Okay. Uh, I know you picked the Titans. I'm picking the Chargers in this game. Why am I picking the Chargers? And you nailed it right before you, you started ranting about the, the Titans. The health. I think that the Chargers are the healthier team going into this matchup. I think uh, Williams and Ken uh, Allen. By far the best receiver in in this game. Yeah, Traylon Burks is out too. For yeah, the it's so. There's no weapons for the for the Titans to to even they they have to rely on that running game. If the Chargers can can kind of control uh, Derrick Henry, not a lot. I mean, he's gonna get his. But if they didn't allow him to get into the end zone or and stuff like that, this this should be a good uh, a good game for the Chargers. Uh, I do have him winning by seven points. I do have him winning twenty one fourteen. Uh, do you think it's going to be a hard-fought battle uh, within the first half? I think it's it's going to be a very very low-scoring first half. We might be we might see a seven-seven first half, and I think going into the second half, we're going to see the Chargers take the lead, uh, and then we're going to start seeing the Titans go away from the running game, kind of like what they did here in Kansas City. They benched uh, uh, Derrick Henry and just focusing on, and I think that's exactly what's going to happen. I think we're going to see towards. Late in the second half, we're gonna we're gonna see the Chargers take the lead, and the and the the, the uh, Ryan Tannehill, the Titans are gonna try and catch up with passing the ball, passing the ball, passing the ball. Ignore Derrick Henry, ignore the running game, and I think that's where it's gonna bite him in the ass. And I think the Chargers are gonna go and uh, win this game. I can be very well right, but if I'm not, you better believe I'm posting this shit when 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 it happens. <laughs> you better believe I'll bring this shit up. <laughs> That is our, like I said, our, our, our Sunday slate picks. We've already put our Saturday slate picks out there. Let us know what you guys think. If you guys have any picks out there that you think uh, you see happening, any upsets, any big wins, whatever you got when it comes to the matchups, let us know. Hit us up on our YouTube channel. Let us know what you guys have going on. It's time to get to the Chiefs and Texans. It's time to preview, preview this game. This is a game that, uh, quite frankly, to be honest with you guys, as much as I love watching the Chiefs each and every week and I – Always go through all my research and really start to break this one down and, and, and really just give it a, a nice look over and, uh, you know, make make it an interesting, you know, we do this. This is what we like to do. We like to talk about, you know, what what could happen, you know, what could, what could uh, you know, take place in this game that changes the infrastructure, you know, what, what, uh, what, what ways the Chiefs can win this game or lose this game. It's always a fun uh, situation to talk about, but... This one's very simple to me. In fact, this is a game I circle. You know, everyone circled the Bengals game and circles all these other games in the on the on the schedule. This is a game I circled for one specific reason. It's the first game Patrick Mahomes is ever going to play in, in Texas as a professional athlete. He's never played a game in Texas to this point. It's the first time he's done it, which means that he's going to want to want to go out there and show off and show out. And I get it because his family's going to be there. He's got a lot of old friends, high school, high school college buddies will probably be there. He said this is the game where most of his like he's going to have a, the most people he's ever had at a game. And I'm sure he will show out in this game. I'm sure he'll have really good numbers. What I'm focused on in this one is something you and I actually briefly talked about before the show. I and Trevor before he uh, left off before he headed out today. I, I we talked about it as well. I, I want the I want the Chiefs to finally do what they haven't done in over two years. Remember the the, the Bills game in Buffalo, run the where the Chiefs ball, ran the ball forty six times. Mm. I'm not saying I want to see the Chiefs run the ball forty six times. What I am saying though is I want to see the Chiefs run the ball thirty times in this game. This is not a game by any means for any reason that the Chiefs should not have a two three touchdown lead going into the second half. The Chiefs should have a twenty seven point lead at some point in this game, just like they had last week. 
And if they're going to learn from that previous matchup against the Broncos, who actually have a great defense, then learn it this week and put this team away and get out of this game unscathed. Don't make this stressful. There's no reason in the world against a 1-12 and 12 win team, 1-12 and 12 team, to make this one stressful at all. There's going to be a ton of Chiefs fans out there too because that's, that's not a big drive, not a big flight. People can make the trip. They will make the trip. You'll see a lot of Chiefs fans in this game. Because there's also a lot of Chiefs fans out there because they converted once Patrick Mahomes became a Chief. I've seen it myself. You look at the injury report. Outside of Chris Jones' illness and Kadarius Tony being questionable, I, I'm not expecting McCole to play this game. I don't think the Chiefs are going to activate him. I, I don't expect Kadarius Tony to play either. I think they're just trying to get him back into practice. They have him as questionable. I'm not expecting him to play. I am expecting Chris Jones to play. He is sick. That's been a thing that's been going around. Trust me, I know. Uh, but it's been going around. I do expect Chris Jones to play in this game, though. I don't know if he'll play a bunch. I think he'll probably be on a snap count. I think Travis Kelsey will probably be on a snap count as well because those two guys should not have to play long minutes going deep into this game. This is a team the Chiefs should be able to blow out and blow out easily. This is not a game I think the Chiefs are going to overlook because, like I said, they had a frustrating, stressful victory last week when they shouldn't have. I know this is the third consecutive road game for the Chiefs, this is a very bad team that is not only bad, but is a team that is insanely banged up. So their offensive lineman, Kenyon Green, is out. Derek Steenley, their best defensive back, is out. Damian Pierce, their only piece of offense that's been consistent all year, their rookie running back, is out. Uh, Steven Nelson, the former Chiefs defensive back, is out. Their offensive lineman, Justin McCray, is questionable. Uh, and then Brandon Cooks, their only great wide receiver, and Nico Collins, their other wide receiver, are all out. So not only is this team bad, there's nobody out there. Who's Davis Mills going to throw to? Who's going to hand the ball off to? Under no circumstances can this be a close game. Under no circumstances can the Chiefs let the, let the Texans get into the 20s. This needs to be a 24-30 to 30 point beatdown. No, this, this is a no-excuses game. I will not accept a, a victory that's under 20 points. None whatsoever. We cannot come into this into episode 198 next week, Eddie, talking about I mean, the Chiefs squeaked it out, you know, found a way to beat a one-win team. No. Go out there, Patrick, go three, throw three touchdowns in the first half, show off to your friends. I'm good with it. I want to see you go out there and showcase. Go out there and prove that you are still you can be the MVP. Go out there and do that. Go throw for 250 yards, three touchdowns in the first half, and when the second half starts, Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon need to be running the ball. I'm okay if Patrick throws the ball 10, 15 times because you still got to throw a little bit of a balance because there's still two quarters to play. But I need this team to go out there and run the ball and, and fix some of the problems they have because you know Davis Mills is going to be throwing all game. You know Kyle Allen, if he plays, he'll be throwing the ball all game. So this would be a good game for our rookie, rookie quarterbacks to go out there and make some things work. Get Joshua Williams, get Jalen Watson, get these guys acclimated and let them go out there and experience some of these things because they're going to be throwing the ball a lot. But the Chiefs need to go out there, put a beat down early and often. I want to see a first drive touchdown. That is something the Chiefs have struggled with so much this year. Is on their first drive, they don't score touchdowns. Go out there, score seven, score seven, score seven, score seven. Go up 28 to, 28 to three, 28 to seven in the first half, and then beat the shit out of this team. Get out of this game unscathed. This is a no excuses game for me. Eddie, what do you think about this one? Yeah. Um... I think this game, the, the Chiefs has to learn how to run the ball in this game. I agree with you on that. I think this is a, a running running backs game. Um, 
I think Patrick Mahomes still going to have his numbers. I think he's going to have over 350 uh, with four touchdowns in this game. I think he's going to have an amazing game, obviously showing off to his family, friends, loved ones. Uh, there is no excuse, like you said, for the Chiefs to start trailing in this game, to uh, get this game closed, to keep this game a uh, three-point game. No need for that. This, this has to be a statement game saying – we don't give a fuck that you're a one-win team and we're going to get, you know. Right. Th- this is, uh, we're going to crush your dreams. We're going to make you the the first overall pick in the NFL draft. I don't give a fuck kind of game. The Chiefs can't go in there and be like, ah, oh, well, we're up 27 points. You know, let's just take the foot off the pedal and then get three and outs and start punting the ball and doing dumb stuff like uh, Damian Williams snapped from the back and it, we cannot have those right. kind of cute game, uh, cute uh, situations when when it's a close game or <clears throat> don't go away from what's working, the running game. I do expect Pacheco in this game to go over 100 yards. I think this game has to be that game where he goes over 100 yards again. Uh, this will be his his only second game in his career with uh, over 100 yards, and I think he's going to score one or two touchdowns in this game. This this is that game. The Chiefs have to understand that running the ball is crucial. That running the ball creates space. They have to. They have to. Because if they don't, they're going to keep this game close. And it's going to look ugly. We don't need that. We don't need, we don't need that right now. Especially going into, into the playoffs. Uh, especially this late in the season. We cannot have that. And this, we can't sit here and say, well, this could be a trap game for the Chiefs. For who? The Seahawks? Are we really worried about the Seahawks now? Right. They've lost to like six straight. Like, come on now. I know those streaks have to come to an end, but if you're the better team, there's no way you ha- you can allow that to happen. And I think the Chiefs can allow this game to be close at any point. The only, the only close this game should be in, is and kickoff. I think that's the closest the game should be in the whole game. Right. It's kickoff. And yeah. The the Chiefs have to go out there and make a statement. They have to prove to us, the fan base, that they are a team that's that's a Super Bowl contender. The Texans are 30th in points per game. They're 26th in points allowed per game. They're dead last in yards per game. They're 26th in passing yards per game, 28th in rushing yards per game, 30th in time of possession, 31st in third down efficiency. This is a terrible team, guys. And, and, and here's the thing. When they play good offenses, they've given up a lot of points. Uh, for instance, the when Cowboys. they played the Chargers, when they played the Chargers, they gave up 34. When they played the Raiders, a decent offense, they gave up 38. Played the Eagles, 29. When they when they played the Dolphins, they gave up 30. And the Dolphins started that game 30 to nothing. So they were nothing, coasting the rest yeah. of the game. Uh, and then they played the Cowboys last week and gave up 27. But see, the reason why that game was close and it was 27-23 and the Texans had a chance to win the game was what reason? The same reason the Chiefs continue to allow teams to hang around. Turnovers. Turnovers. The Cowboys had three turnovers in this game. Dak Prescott was horrible in this game. Their defense had to save them from the horrendous Texans. So the Texans are going to come in this game going, hey, well, we Cowboys. hung with the Cowboys. Patrick Mahomes cannot allow... These dumb penalties to occur because I know what's going to happen. Patrick Mahomes is going to score a couple easy touchdowns in this game, and then he's going to he's going to get loose, yeah. and he's going to start getting a little careless. Yeah. You throw that first pick, all of a sudden, Texas because you know the Texans pay attention. They're going to be like, 
We just saw what the Broncos did last week. We're just as good of an offense, and we're both terrible. We can go out there and make something happen. We're at home. Get our crowd involved. Let them feel good about things for a second. Hey, man, we might be able to answer back. Under no circumstances can the Chiefs allow this to happen. No. They have got to get these turnover problems Jeez. down now against bad teams. Keep bad teams bad. The Chiefs did not let a bad team be bad last week. They let them look good. And that's shameful, it's pitiful, and it's unacceptable. You cannot do that back-to-back weeks. Uh, key players to this game, or key figures to this game, I've kind of changed the rules because I think I've added a lot of things to the, the matchup. Uh, key players or key matchup players. For me, it's simple. I'm not even going to use a defensive player when it comes to this one because I don't think the defense, I don't think we need to put any pressure on the defense. They should be able to go out there and dominate this horrendous Texans offense. For me, it is Patrick Mahomes' recklessness, his own mentality of how to play this game. Go out there, like I said, look good, you know, make your crowd, make the crowd, you know, ooh, you know, all that stuff. That's fun. Don't be careless with the ball in this one. And the coaching staff has got to back him up with good plays. Do not, when you're up 28 to nothing or 28 to 7, don't be out there just wielding the ball around. Run the goddamn ball. Get out of this game. You want Patrick Holmes to win the MVP? You want to get that one seed back? Play smart. Mm -hmm. Stop playing like it's air raid offense. This is not college football. This is the NFL. And NFL teams, Lovey Smith, although he's not a great head coach, this man led a team to the Super Bowl in 2006 with Rex Grossman as his quarterback. Eddie, do you even know who Rex Grossman is? Fucking terrible. That's who he was. He was a horrible quarterback. He led the league in interceptions that year. I think he had like 22, 23 interceptions. They got to the Super Bowl that year and made Peyton Manning work for that victory because they had a great defense. Lovey Smith, I respect that man with everything in me. He's a hell of a defensive mind. He's been in this league as long as he has for a reason. And he's got one of the coolest beards of all time. So, the Texans are going to come at this game not feeling good about themselves. Probably not even expected to even get close. But you cannot give that team life. Because if you give a team like that life, this is the NFL. This game can be closer than it ever should have been. Chiefs cannot have that this week. Coaching staff, Patrick Mahomes, do your damn jobs. Go out there, put together an MVP game plan so your MVP can play like an MVP. Eddie, who are your key players? Give me Juju. This is a perfect situation for Juju. This is a a perfect game for Juju and Patrick Mahomes to connect and, and do their thing. Juju can very well go out there and and put up the numbers that he wants, that he pleases with this kind of kind of defense. It's a it's a terrible team. I really I really hope we're not downplaying this team too much, and they come out and score score on their first drive, and then make the Chiefs. Uh, you better not be fucking knock on wood. <laughs> yeah, uh, <coughs> yeah. This is this is a this is a game where Juju. Juju should go off. He should she should have over 100 receiving yards in this game. Uh, this team allows it. So why not go out there and do it? Run the ball. I'm going to go. Uh, and my second one is Pacheco. Run the ball. Have him do his thing. Let him you know, run the ball aggressively. This is the team where we can do it against. The Broncos have a great defense, and we still put up good numbers. So I think this team should go out there, run the ball. After you have a, a comfortable lead, just run the ball, run the clock. And like you said, get out unscathed, get out healthy. The, the, 
there is no excuse for this team to to not have a receiver over 100 yards and a running back over 100 yards. This team is very capable of doing that, and I think they will. So my two players are Juju and Pacheco. Like it. Uh, when it comes to score, again, <laughs> there should be no reason in the world why the Chiefs don't score a lot of points in this one. And I'm saying like early in the game and then kind of coast, and then they'll probably run into another touchdown or two. I'm going to predict that the Chiefs score 28 points in the first half mm. and then coast the rest of the game. And I think that it's going to be one of those games where it looks like the Chiefs put up a lot of points throughout the game, but they really didn't. I think that it's going to be Patrick Mahomes holding a clipboard with a visor in the fourth quarter. Chad Henney's playing. Uh, hopefully Ronald Jones will be active and he can play in the fourth quarter as well and help them just kind of run into this next victory. But I'm expecting the Chiefs, and this is the first time I've done it in a while, I'm expecting the Chiefs to score over 40 in this one. Because like I said, I think they're going to set themselves up really well for the second half. I think they score another touchdown in the second half and push them up 35. And then I think they get a couple field goals for the rest of the game, putting them at 41. So I'm going to predict that the Chiefs roll the Texans in this one 41-17. to 17. That's my score prediction. I expect the Chiefs to go out there and do their thing, like I've said. Um, and with you... I'm on board. I think this is this is a perfect situation where we can drop 40 points again. It, it is not crazy that we dropped 40 points on a team this bad when we dropped over 40 points against a, arguably the best defensive football in the 49ers. So I got this team winning 42 to 21. Why do I give the Texans 21 points? Like you alluded to, I think fourth quarter, we're going to have nothing but second and third string uh, players in both in both uh, sides of the ball, and I think that defense will allow a couple of touchdowns to the Texans uh, starting starting lineup because I think the Texans are going to keep their starters through that whole game. So I do think they get some uh, points in uh, what do you call that? Like uh, garbage time. Garbage time. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the only reason I I have them at 21 points. We've seen the Chiefs give up points in garbage time. We we've seen it. it it's going to happen. Uh so yeah, I got it 42-21. I like it. Let us know what you guys think. What's your score prediction? How do you see this game going? What do you think is going to take place? Um anything you guys have when it comes to Chiefs Texans or any prediction that you have for any game this week, hit us up on our YouTube channel, subscribe to it, not- get the notification link going. And we love to hear from you guys. Eddie, we have one more order of business to get to. What's it called? Hold this L. Each and every week we finish off each and every episode with a series of L's in the world of sports. Whether those L's in the world of sports are friendly or not so friendly L's in the world of sports, we promise you, whoever is holding those L's in the world of sports deserve those L's in the world of sports. Eddie Ortiz, Mr. Yo-Yo-Yo, who's holding the L for you this week and why is it F1? (laughs) I wish it was F1. I miss F1. (laughs) Uh, But who's holding my L this week? I think I'm going to give it to Colin Coward. Why am I going to give it to Colin Coward? Uh, I believe it was yesterday's episode. I read this on Twitter. Uh, uh, It was yesterday's episode where he said that the Raiders should uh, trade Derek Carr and that he expects the Raiders that they could potentially get a first and a second for Derek Carr. I wonder what team is desperate enough to give you a first and a second for Derek Carr. Um... I don't think there's any team out there that would give you a first. A second, I can buy that. Derek Carr is a good quarterback. He is not worth a first a first and a second. Right. No. 
I can see a second and fourth maybe being traded uh, for Derek Carr. I can see that. I can see that. There is no way any team should trade for Derek Carr for a first and a second. And I think the Raiders shouldn't trade Derek Carr. I think I think they're going to ride with Derek Carr until the end. And I think that's bad for the Raiders. I, I, don't, I think the Raiders should move on from Derek Carr. And I think that... De- I think Derek Carr should move on from the Raiders. I think they're both. Uh, they're not, not good for each. They're other. not good for. They're not meant for each other. I'm not saying Derek Carr's a bad quarterback, but uh, they definitely should move on from each other. Uh, Derek Carr can go very, very well, go to another team and succeed. He's a good quarterback, but I don't see him being a first and a second. I, I, I there's just no. I just, nothing tells me that he's worth a first. I don't know about you guys. I mean, you guys probably think I'm 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 dumb. I'm stupid, but I've seen Derek Carr through his entire career. Obviously, because he plays in the AFC West, he had one good season to where we all could we all were like he might win MVP. Yeah. But then he got that that leg injury six uh, years ago. Yeah. Six years ago. I mean, he's he's good enough. He's just not that great. Right. So if I if I'm any team trading for a quarterback, I am not trading a first for Derek Carr. I don't know what Calvin Carr is thinking. Uh, some of his uh, takes are pretty fucking wild, and this is one of them. I just don't see it. So for that reason, that reason alone, Calvin Carr, you have to do me a favor and uh, hold this L. L. All right, so I want to start us off. I'm going to be a little greedy here because Trevor's gone. So whenever you're gone, Eddie, I like to do this too. I like to double down a little oh, bit. Okay. Um, I want to first give a W to, in my opinion, and I think it's not even going to be close once he's done, the greatest tight end who's ever lived, Travis Kelsey, because as we mentioned earlier, and I want to re- reiterate it, he reached 10,000 receiving yards, 10,000 career receiving yards this last week against the Broncos. By far the fastest to ever do it at the tight end position. He's now just a little over 5,000 receiving yards from passing Tony Gonzalez for the all-time record for tight ends in NFL history. I don't know if he's going to get that, but I'm definitely not going to be a guy that doubts him when he's done what he's done because he's also had a seventh consecutive 1,000-yard season, which is the point I actually want to focus on. I don't think people realize how difficult that really is to do, man. Like To be able to stay healthy enough for almost a decade to have that many consecutive 1,000-yard seasons as a wide receiver is insane, let alone at the tight end position. And now that uh, Travis Kelsey has had seven consecutive 1,000-yard seasons, he has more consecutive seasons with 1,000 yards than these following wide receivers had for their entire careers. Not consecutive, just total. Julio Jones, Antonio Brown, Calvin Megatron Johnson... Andre Johnson, and Michael Irvin. Those are all Hall of Fame first ballot wide receivers. And he's had, Travis Kelsey's had more consecutive 1,000-yard seasons than those guys had their careers. Than a true wide receiver. Think about how insane that is. Like, we're watching the greatest tight end ever. I know people want to talk about Gronk and, and Tony G. Respect. Those guys had great Hall of Fame careers. There is no one that has done what Travis Kelsey has done, and there's no one that continues to do what he does. So W goes to the greatest tight end who has ever lived, Travis Kelsey. I also want to give a W, and it's a very melancholy W, to the now late greats, college coach Mike Leach. 
Uh, if anybody knew anything about Mike Leach, he uh, he began his career back in 1987. Uh, he was just an assistant at Cal Poly uh, and the coach of the Desert in 1988. Uh, he served as the coach of Pori Bears in the American Football Association in 1989. He worked his way up until he became the head coach of the Texas Tech Red Raiders, which Patrick Mahomes ended up going to, but he was before to, uh, Patrick Mahomes' time. He had three nine-win seasons in 2002, 2005, and 2007, and an 11-win season in 2008, which means he was coach of the year. Um, and he, did, he he continued to work his way up until he actually inserted Cliff Kingsbury as his coach three three years later. And, and obviously Cliff Kingsbury has done what he's done in his career. One of the best stories, though, is that in his time as a coach, I think it was in Oklahoma, Cliff Kingsbury told one of his quarterbacks, look, you're not going to make it. You're not going to be a player that I'm going to need. I want you to work on my staff. And that player got so pissed off, ran out, literally just walked out of the meeting, didn't say anything, was pissed because he wanted to keep playing. Next day, that pl- that person, that player came in and was like, all right, I'll fucking accept the job. You know who that guy is? Lincoln Wright, the head coach of USC Trojans, who's one of the best coaches in the nation. That was Matt, Mike Leach is the one that told him you got promise as a coach. You're not. You're never going to be a player. You're never going to make it as a pro, but you're going to be a great coach. And that guy made a choice, and that guy ended up becoming one of the best coaches in the entire nation. And it was Mike Leach that recognized that. Mike Leach is also as, as great of a coach as he was. It's the stories about the person that made him greater. I want you to hear this story. I don't want to give you context of what he's talking about. This is at a press conference, by the way, of him as a head coach. First of all, what kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? We've got to consider that. I'm going to say the Wildcat's out. Uh, the Trojan, is he? does he have a horse or is he on foot? Does he have a bow and arrow or just a sword? The Bruin, definitely formidable. Another bear up there at Cal. Uh, the tree, I imagine that tree's going to get chopped down. Unless we're going to go with the bird and somebody might get pecked or something, I don't know. The duck might lose interest and just fly away and get out of there, which may be good advice under the circumstances. Uh, the husky, no chance. The beaver, well, we'll see how long that beaver can hold his breath. Um, the ute, again, we're back to, uh, is he on horseback? Does he have a bow and arrow? Did he trade for a rifle? I mean, you know, because if that youth's got a rifle, there's some definite problems. You know, you'd have to get one of those Harry Potter activists to read up on how you kill a sun <laughs> devil because there's a lot of uh, outside stuff there. Just as far as a beast alone, uh, a buffalo's going to be pretty hard to tangle with. I mean, a, bu- a buffalo's utterly outstanding. Did I leave any of them out? McCougal find a way. Uh, clear-minded and crafty, a combination of stay out of harm's way and and uh, and attack when you get your uh, your chances or your openings. That was a press conference when he was talking about team mascots and how they would fare against his Cougars. Like, who does this? That that that's what made Mike Leach so unique is that he would actually do that with people. He would actually entertain the press conferences. I remember there was a story that came out this week about him. Uh, I think it was a writer or reporter called him and asked him a question about something in life. And he just starts talking and talking and talking. And then the guy recognized there was a whistle in the background. He's like, Mike, what are you doing? Oh, I'm here at practice. He's like, Mike, we've been talking for like a half hour. We're talking about stuff that had nothing to do with football. 
He goes, oh, it's all right. It's fine, man. I, I got time. And he's just like, hey, hey, run that drill. Run that drill. And he's like, so anyway, as I'm saying, and he just goes right back to the conversation, right in the middle of practice. Like, he was one of the most unique guys. And, and furthermore, when we're talking about the football side of things, Mike Leach revolutionized college football, even some in the NFL, because he's the one that created the air raid offense about 12, 15 years ago. And it turned everything into the spread formations where you have no running backs, no backfield, all five wide. He created all of it. And uh, the, the the story that I want you guys to hear about why Mike Leach was so um, – why he was such a genius uh, behind what he was doing was when he talked about how um, – yeah, so here's the story. The, 1997, the 1999 Oklahoma-Texas – uh, game where he fooled them with a fake script. So I want to find the video here because this was so good. I want I want you guys to hear this. It's a quick little video uh, about Mike Leach with a fake script. It's so good. I, I, I got to find this real quick, Eddie. I'm so sorry. Here we go. No, you're fine. Everybody likes a good caper and everybody wants to know something the other guy doesn't know. Call it the Cotton Bowl Caper. The year was 1999, and making his debut in the rivalry was a mysterious new character calling plays for OU. I know that we've got to do anything we can to get an edge and to try to keep them off balance and try to get them to squander as many plays as we can. The Sooners were heavy underdogs, and on Wednesday night, just three days before the game, Leach had an idea. <laughs> More like a play script scheme. We wanted to just see how honest Texas was, so we decided to write up a script, a dummy script. The challenge for Leach in the decoy script was to come up with complementary plays to the actual one. So if you're running a play to the left, you wanted the decoy script to say something was going to the right. The next part of the plot, call it the drop. Leach used one of his players pregame to deploy the decoy so Texas would be sure to find him. He's like, I want you to run past their sideline, and as you're running up the tunnel, I want you to take the script and act like you're putting it in your belt loop and let it fall out onto the ground. It was kind of the first real like uh, espionage I'd ever been a, a part of. One of their GAs is wandering by and, oh, what's this? A piece of paper. He looks at it, and his eyes get kind of big, and he sort of hides it and looks around to see if anybody saw him get it. Sure enough, the fake play script made its way straight to the Texas locker room. <laughs> we all thought it was real because we thought that the alternative would would be just so far-fetched uh, that, that somebody would go through the trouble to create a fake call sheet and actually leave it and drop it you know, where we would find it. Paul Reese takes it up to the press box. He starts studying the script, trying to figure out what defense they're going to call to match up the script. When I wasn't calling defenses, I was looking at it. And uh, it was a huge distraction. And on the second play of the game, the script says double reverse pass. We were trying to get them over there to the left. We hit Savage, and everybody was over to the left, and Savage was to the right. On first down, Hyper Wild Eddie's a freshman Savage. Touchdown, Oklahoma. It's 
very hard in the course of a football game to go back and see a wide receiver at any level of football that wide open. Going up top, Jackson, one-on-one, turns around with a catch to the end zone. As the game went on, it was a catastrophe. <laughs> By the time it was 17-0 Sooners, oh? Coach Reese had seen enough of the so-called script. I grabbed it, wandered up in a tight ball, and there was a trash can sitting over the corner. I gave it a toss, and there it was. Got rid of it. After crashing script and calling their original defenses, Texas outscored Oklahoma 38-11 the rest of the way. <laughs> <coughs> so, obviously the, the ending didn't work as well, but Mike Leach, being this relatively like up-and-coming coach, decided to troll the Texas Longhorns like that by giving them this fake strip on purpose. That is legendary shit right there, man. And he went on to have such a successful career, one of the kindest human beings in all of football, one of the greatest minds, just a just a, his one of one. He was one of one. Everybody that ever knew him said that, and stories like that will forever live on. And I just wanted to pay homage to the great Mike Leach, and uh, we lost a, bit, a, a good one way too early. He was only 61 years old. It really sucks, but... He uh, he meant a lot to a lot of people, and I loved and enjoyed his post games. Even not being a big college fan myself, just hearing him talk, it was always something that was insightful and funny, to be honest. So that's why I want to leave that. This has been a fun show, and I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Uh, it sucks not having Trevor here for two consecutive weeks, but I think Eddie and I have held the fort down pretty well. I think we've done pretty good, and uh, we're feeling really good about this matchup for the Chiefs moving forward. We got a couple more games to watch today uh, as the as the game as the day goes on. We got some great games coming up tomorrow, Sunday slates. In the meantime, while you guys are watching these games today and watching the watching games this weekend, go ahead and, like I said, hit us up on uh, YouTube. Subscribe to our channel. Let us know what you guys are thinking about the show. If you guys have any suggestions, man, we're always open-minded to that, man. We love to hear from you guys. That's what it's all about to begin with. And we appreciate all the support you guys have already given us. And we're very much looking forward to more great shows and great content that we can provide you guys. And we thank you so much for all that you do. So for Trevor Twidwell that's not here, for Eddie Ortiz, Mr. Yo-Yo-Yo, for Clay Windler that puts all this stuff together on the back end and also runs an incredible, incredible YouTube channel, Red Tribe Cinema. I'm Lance Twidwell. Episode 191 of the Spoken Podcast is done, finished, and finito. And until we're here for 198 in one week's time, talking about the Chiefs moving on at 11-3 and to play a couple more divisional games and have a big Seahawks game coming up at home. We out of this bitch. We're going to get out of this bitch. Thank you so much for listening, guys. See ya. You are tuned into the spoken. I might actually stick I might actually stick around for a little bit.